God ever not showed up for you in the way that you thought he would? Have you ever had your life totally upended? I mean, one minute everything is going along absolutely wonderful, and then the next minute you find yourself in the middle of circumstances you couldn't possibly have imagined, and your head is just spinning? Well, stay tuned because we're going to talk a little bit about how to handle that today. How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Well, welcome back to the Life's Key 3 episode where we focus on life's key three aims to learn yourself, to love God, and to live connected. And we have been traveling through the Gospel of John, and we are going to continue with that journey today. Last week, it was Thanksgiving week here in the United States, and we took a bit of a detour And we talked about Jonah and how he would actually be a really good person to learn from at Thanksgiving. Probably not the connection that you usually make with Thanksgiving. Maybe David, um, maybe Hannah, maybe a lot of other people in the Bible, but Jonah? But yeah, there's a lesson in that. So if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to last week's episode, you want to make sure you go back and do that. And if you're just starting in with us, then you need to know that we have been tracking through, as I said, a lot of the Gospel of John, and we're going to be wrapping this up. Yes, we will be wrapping this up this calendar year. It has taken a lot longer to get through the Gospel of John than I had originally thought it would be, but this is such a rich Gospel, and there's so much that I haven't even touched on. But first, before we dive in, can I just say thank you You know, you've got a million other podcasts and shows and audiobooks and all kinds of other excellent material and some not so excellent material that you have to be listening to. So thank you for choosing to give of your time and invest in this podcast episode. All right, let's jump back in with where we are in the Gospel of John. We're picking up in chapter 15. And the context of this chapter is Jesus has just been having the Passover meal with his disciples, his core group of disciples. And we don't know exactly who all was there. Um, Sometimes when we read in scripture and we just think of the disciples, we only think of the 12, but there were other people who were also part of his disciples. They just weren't part of the 12 that were initially chosen and then what eventually became the 11 that were sent out to be apostles. And so they, they've had this meal. They're, they're having this Passover meal there in, the, in the, the room. It's warm. It's comfortable. They've had food. And Jesus has washed their feet, which was a task that normally one of the lowliest servants would do. And the fact that no, nobody had already had their feet washed meant that nobody else had deemed it appropriate for them to lower themselves to that position to wash each other's feet. So Jesus eventually 
takes that on as an act of, as modeling for them the kind of behavior that he was wanting them to practice. Why does he do this? Jesus knows what's coming and what's going to come that very night. This was not the first meal. This wasn't even the first Passover meal that Jesus had shared with his disciples. So it's, it's another Passover meal. Just like last week, we had another Thanksgiving day here in the United States. In a few weeks around the world, people will be gathering to celebrate yet another Christmas. And so for the disciples, this was yet another Passover meal, a time to celebrate one of the greatest accounts of God's divine intervention in Jewish history, their deliverance from the bondage in Egypt. But Jesus knows that this is going to be their last Passover meal together. Nobody else has any clue of this, but Jesus knows this. And this is why these chapters here are so fascinating to read, and I'm not going to be able to spend the time diving into all of them. I really encourage you to go back and to read these chapters for yourself and keep in mind, try to to put yourself in the disciples' position at the time. We know, because, you know, we're on the, the other end of that, that, yes, these were Jesus' last teachings that he was giving to his disciples before he was going to be crucified, but they didn't know that. So try to put yourself in their shoes or their once dirty, now clean feet, maybe probably more like it, um, as they're at this meal. And, and to listen with those kind of ears, not just because we're trying to have some sort of literary technique here, it is because the very same position that the disciples were in there, sooner or later, most of us find ourselves in. I don't mean a Passover, Passover meal as a disciple, we're going to be, you know, having somebody crucified, but I mean in the, the situation where we're, we're going along the way that life is, and then all of a sudden, everything changes. That's something that we can relate to. And so what does Jesus spend his time saying to them? Of all the things that he could have been spending his last hours here on earth doing before his crucifixion, what is he doing and what is he not doing? Well, it's interesting that he's not making a mad race, a last-ditch effort to run around and try to do more miracles and heal more people and to preach more sermons and to touch more lives outside of his core group of disciples. He's not doing that. What he is doing is he is intentionally investing in those disciples. You know, there comes a time in our lives where it is appropriate for us to not continue to pour out in everybody else out there and to let people with their needs go unmet by us and to focus on that core group of people that we have the highest commission to invest in. That may be our families. That may be our, our local church. It may be a, a group of some kind. But there is a time when we say no to others out there 
so that we can focus on those individuals that we are specifically called to minister and to invest in. So what does Jesus say to these disciples? I mean, think about it for a minute. What do you think your last words would be to the people closest to you if you knew that you were getting ready to die? What would you talk about with them? Well, Jesus knows that he's getting ready to die. His disciples have no clue. And so what does he focus on saying to them? Well, in these chapters, he speaks some of the plainest, most direct language that we read about him using. Jesus taught so much with parables, and not just with parables, but there are a lot of times, as we've talked about in previous episodes, he just said things that, if we're just intellectually honest, sounded weird. I mean, sometimes people would come to him with questions or with needs, and he would say things like, like the woman who comes to him and, and whose daughter was so sick and she was begging for um, Jesus to heal. And Jesus comes back and says, it's not appropriate for the, um, the dogs, you know, to feed um, what, what is good to be given to the dogs. I mean, hello, can you imagine going to your pastor and saying, could you please put my, my precious child or spouse or friend or parent on the prayer list? And the pastor comes back to you and says, um, it's not appropriate to be feeding the dogs. And you'd be like, excuse me, okay, I think we need to call for a board of elders meeting or something like that because it just would make no sense. But in that time period, I mean, the woman, she got what he was saying, even though it sounded really weird. And there's a lot of different times, and this isn't being disrespectful about Jesus. It is about understanding that sometimes God speaks in ways that isn't abundantly clear. What is he really trying to convey here? And I think that's kind of an indication to us that God expects us to use our brains, and he expects us to sometimes do the hard work of thinking things through. It's a, it's a skill that he wants us to develop. But anyway, kind of coming back to the, this, this main situation here. And so what Jesus is focuses on and saying to his disciples is basically three things. He just comes back to these things over and over and over again. And he speaks with directness and clarity. He's not speaking in parables. He's not using analogies. He's not saying these kind of obtuse things that they're sitting there going, I, I don't have any clue what that means. What he says is this, abide in me. He says that over and over and over again. You know, Jesus was a man who didn't repeat himself over and over and over and over again. He would often say something once and then that was it. And you would think, wow, I'm surprised he didn't say that over and over again. But this time in these chapters, he repeats that some of these exact phrases over and over again. And one of those is, abide in me, remain in me, stay in me. He also focuses on bear fruit. Now, that's not something that we just will ourselves to do. It is the result of that first instruction, which is to abide in me. 
Don't bounce in and out. Don't leave. Don't fall away. I want you to stay. I want you to remain. I don't want you to let go of what I have invested in you. Abiding takes work. It means showing up. It means staying in the game. It means staying engaged. You don't stay engaged in anything by default. If you're an athlete and you show up on the basketball court or the pickleball court or whatever your um, sport of choice is, you don't get there and then just stay in the game by default. You have to keep working in order to remain, to abide in that game. And the same thing is, is true for the Christian life. Abiding isn't just a choice we make and then poof, it happens. I mean, I wish I would love to sign up for that plan, but that's not an option God has given us. It takes work to abide, to make that choice over and over again, to abide in Christ. The result of that will be the bearing of fruit. And one of the ways, the primary way that that fruit shows up is that we will love God and we will love others and we will live in unity with our fellow believers. We are not going to live in unity with the world. Jesus makes that abundantly clear. I mean, he says flat out, the world will hate you. The world will despise you. Eventually, some of you, and, and he goes on and references even beyond those disciples, you will be killed because of your love and your belief in me. But that is what he calls them back to over and over and over again, is to abide, to bear fruit, and to love. And he makes that also very clear that all three of those are connected. It's not a choice of, well, which one do I want? It's not even pick two out of three. It's that all three are mandatory. And all three are, must be present in someone's life in order to validate their claim to love God and to believe in Jesus Christ. This idea that if we can just have a belief in God, that's somehow enough, and everybody go away and don't pester me beyond that. Jesus makes it very clear. No, 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 no. It's not just enough what you say you believe. You have to bear fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit, it doesn't matter what you say. You are not abiding in me. Abiding in me will lead you to bear fruit, period. If the fruit is not there in your life, the belief is not there, doesn't matter what your claims are. So the disciples are here at this meal, and Judas at this point has, has already left, and they're, they're hearing Jesus say these things like, I'm leaving, I'm going away, you're not going to be able to come with me. It, imagine how your children would respond if you, if you said to them, hey, guess what, guys, um, we're moving away. We're not going to tell you where. There's not going to be any forwarding address, but there's nothing to worry about because we're going to send somebody else to take care of you. Okay, I get it. If you have teenagers, they might cheer or at least want to cheer internally and think, great, awesome, you just made my life a whole lot easier. But if you've got an eight-year-old, okay, that is not going to go over well with them. And in the same way, the disciples are here and they're thinking, well, what, what do you mean you're going to leave? You, you, where are you going? Why, why can't we come with you? 
and they're sad and they're sorrowful. Well, of course that they are. And so Jesus walks through all these things. And it's, it's almost, in, in a sense, you can look at it and think, you know, this almost seems a little humorous. It's like he walks through saying, by the way, I'm leaving. You're not going to be able to follow me. Um, there's going to be a lot of sadness. There's going to be a lot of sorrow. You're going to experience um, people are eventually going to want to kill you. They will kill you. They will do all kinds of, of terrible things to you. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I'm telling you these things because I want you to have joy. That doesn't always seem to compute. Let me tell you how bad things are going to be for you. But hey, don't worry about it. Don't be sad about it because I'm going to leave you with peace and joy. And here's the truth for all of us. Life eventually picks most of us up and it hurls us into a set of circumstances and a situation we never saw coming. That's exactly what was happening with the disciples. Jesus knew that just in a matter of hours, they weren't going to be sitting together, listening to him teach in this this warm room with this meal, they were going to be divided. They were going to be out in the cold, literally and figuratively. They were going to be separated from him. And instead of being gathered together for a meal, they were all going to be driven apart because of a false trial his arrest, his judgment, and his crucifixion. Jesus knew everything was about to change. So what does he say to them to prepare them for that? He says, abide in me. Remain. Don't walk away. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. This wasn't the outcome that the disciples had been anticipating. You know, we're getting ready to start into the season of Advent, and Advent is a time of preparation. It's a time where people look forward to the coming of Christ. And when Jesus is talking with his disciples, he really talks to them about a second Advent, of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, it's going to be better for you, actually, that I'm leaving because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he is going to continue to be your teacher and your guide. I'm not leaving you without help. I'm not leaving you without teaching and without counsel. I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to take, pick up where I've stopped. He's going to pick up where I've left off, and he will continue to be with you and to guide you into all truth and to let you know how you need to live. The disciples did not feel ready for, for Jesus' words. They didn't even know the reality of what was coming, and yet they didn't even feel ready for his words. But God knew that he had prepared them for this time. And Jesus knew that they were going to be prepared. Did they all forsake Christ and, and go away initially? Yes, they did. But you know what he knew? He knew they would come back together. He knew 
not just their the the weaknesses and how that would show up in their fear and their stress and their anxiety, but he knew the strength that was in them, that the investment that he had made in them that was deeper than the fear and the anxiety that caused them initially to all fall apart. And somebody here needs to that's listening needs to hear this today. And eventually, this is a truth that we all need to not just know, but we need to like embolden ourselves with and to embed deep within our hearts. Life will eventually, and oftentimes more than once, it will pick us up and it will hurl us into a place of darkness and confusion and circumstances that we never saw coming. And we can think we are so unprepared, we are so incompetent, we don't know how we're going to deal with it, we don't know how we're going to get through it, we're not going to know what to do. And yes, just like the disciples, we may initially fall apart, but we can choose, just like they did, to come back and to abide in Christ, to come back and to remain and to come back and be together in unity with our fellow believers. That's what they did, and that's what we still have the opportunity and the strength and the calling and the power to do today. There's an expression that I've heard that I really like, and it is, do not doubt in the dark what God has shown you or told you in the light. Don't doubt when those times come and your whole life is just upended. Everything that you've known and believed to be true, give it time and determine that you will do exactly what God called his disciples to do when he knew that their life was going to be totally turned upside down more than they ever thought possible or ever saw coming. And that was to abide in Christ to love him, to love one another, and to remain and bear fruit. And that's what they did, and that's what we can still do today. All right, my friend, we are going to wrap up here today. We've got just a couple of episodes left this year, and we will be wrapping up the book of John. I encourage you to to go through and to read these chapters yourselves, or you can also um, listen on an audio version. Um, the U version of the Bible is uh, millions of downloads of that, and that's available. So I encourage you to check those out and let these words, these words of life, these words of truth, embed them in your heart and in your mind because it is truth that will sustain you when life totally throws you into situations and circumstances you never saw coming. Remember this, my friend, you have an impact that truly is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.